This week we'll be celebrating St. Valentine's Day. Makes me think, how should we love others? Stay with me. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. My name is Michael Radelnik. I'm the academic dean and I'm a professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. And we're together live today, sitting around the radio kitchen table, and taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, now's the time to call. The phone number here is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Go ahead and write that down and give us a call. Trisha McMillan is our producer. Bob Moreau is handling all things technical, and Laura Markham is answering the phones. Again, let me give you the phone number The phone number just one more time, 877-548-3675. Now, go get your cup of coffee and open your Bible, because we're going to talk about how God loves. With Valentine's Day coming up, it seems we're too much like Charlie Brown, opening our mailbox, counting our Valentines, wondering who loves us. The Lord Jesus taught that we need to be more concerned with whom we love instead of who loves us. One place where we find the Lord Jesus teaching about love is in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. Here's what the Messiah Jesus had to say. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. The teaching of the Lord Jesus was radically different than what was understood in the first century in that culture, and it's also different from our culture. Here's why. First, the Hebrew scriptures taught that we could be selective in love. That's why Jesus says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor. That last phrase comes right from the law of Moses, where it says, do not hate your brother in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. To love our neighbors means that we're to love our brothers, our fellow countrymen, maybe even our relatives. In other words, we're to love our own people. Note there's no command to hate enemies in this Old Testament passage. It doesn't even address outsiders, let alone our enemies. It's just saying, love those within our group. And it makes perfect sense to love those within our own communities. We are to love our fellow citizens, the people in our spiritual communities, and especially our own families. Second, some of the Bible teachers of Jesus' day were teaching that we were to be exclusive in love. Jesus' words, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, refer to a few teachers saying that we are to love our neighbors, but to hate those outside the community. It, it really wasn't a common teaching. In fact, it can be found written in only two extra-biblical passages. But people did hear it from, from time to time in the first century in Israel. At Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they taught, love the sons of light, but hate the sons of darkness. And one ancient Bible teacher said, Love all of these in your community, but hate the sectarians, apostates, and the informers. 
In other words, love the insiders, but hate all the outsiders. I don't think most of us would do this openly. We'll find ways to cover it up. Like we might say to, of someone we really can't stand, I love him in the Lord. Or as I learned from a former student of mine who came from the southern United States, that at her congregation, you could say all kinds of evil about a person and even express true hatred. But as long as you finished it off with, bless her heart, then everything would be considered fine. Finally, the Lord Jesus taught that we should be impartial in love. We're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. We're to love those inside our communities and those outside, those who get along with us and those who don't, those who seek our good and those who seek our harm. The reason is that this will emulate God's love. That's what it means to be sons of your Father in heaven. Sons tend to look like their fathers. For example, not too long ago, one of my sons was in a Chicago park with a friend where a former student of mine who had never seen him before walked up to my son and said, are you a Rydelnik? Poor boy, he looks a lot like me. So we are to look like our father in the way we love people. Here's what God's love looks like. God's love is unconditional. John wrote, in 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God never waits for someone to be worthy of his love. He just loves people. I'm grateful because I didn't love him, but he loved me. Second, God's love is sacrificial. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Of course, John 3.16. This doesn't refer to just the world of believers, but to all people. God sacrificed the one who was most precious to him for the whole world. Third, God's love takes the initiative. In Romans 5.8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. God doesn't wait to see our appreciation, our interest, even our obedience before he extends his love to us. He just does it. He takes the initiative. On Valentine's Day and every day, let's remember to love not like Charlie Brown, but like the, the God who gave us his son, the Messiah Jesus, not because we deserved him, but just because God loved us. Well, we're going to go right to the phones now. We're going to speak with Art in Brainerd, Minnesota, listening on, uh, I think it says MCVI. Welcome to Open Line, Art. How can I help you? Well, good morning, sir. My question is, in the Gospel of Mark and John, Jesus refers to himself as a son of man. And some people like to say that he was only just a man. But I believe that's a very divine term that he applies to himself. Where would I find information to back up my idea? In the Bible. How's that? Oh, I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in Daniel, Ezekiel. There's uh, yeah. Well, in Ezekiel, uh, uh, Ezekiel is called Son of Man, and there he's referring to him as a human being. So uh, when God calls Ezekiel Son of Man, that's what it is. I think the key passage for us is Daniel seven. In Daniel seven, it describes the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man 
and there are thrones set up. One is for the Ancient of Days, who's sitting on it, and another throne for the Ancient of Days. And uh, that is just really essential for us to get, that it's uh, about the the Son of Man, who is a divine being, a deity figure uh, in Daniel 7. And I think that this is so important because so often when people look at the Gospel of Luke or the very words of Jesus where his favorite self-description is Son of Man, they think that he is uh, talking about his full humanity, which the Lord Jesus is fully human. However, there's more to it than that uh, because when he is referring to himself as the Son of Man, he's referring to himself as the son of man of Daniel 7, a deity figure. And why is that crucial when you when the Lord Jesus is on trial before the high priest and the high priest says, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? The Lord Jesus answers from Daniel 7, you'll see the son of man descending in the clouds. And the high priest recognizes exactly what the Lord Jesus is saying. He's not saying, I'm just the Messiah. He tears his garment and says he's committed blasphemy because by by identifying himself as the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus is identifying himself as deity. So that's that's where it comes from, and I think that's why it's so important. Uh, and is did I answer the question, or is there anything else that you want? Well, to you, you know, you you did very well to. I mean, no. I, I went. To is there? Do you have another question? Thank you for it very that. well. <laughs> but uh, did you have something else that you wanted to ask? I, I, I'm well, looking here. It says, what about those who deny the deity of Jesus? I think. Well, you say there are groups that claim to be Christians that go around and, and deny the Trinity, deny the deity of Jesus Christ. One puts them as a, and like an archangel, one another the first creation, but they deny the deity. And I was, I just like to have a good response to them. Uh, one night, like in, um, when Jesus appears to Thomas, and shows him his hands and his side. And Jesus, I mean, Thomas bows down and says, my Lord and my God. He, Jesus allowed himself to be worshipped. And only yeah. if he wasn't God, he was uh, not doing right there. So, Yeah, I believe I that one of the clearest, that. clearest teachings in the Bible is that the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, is fully, full deity, also fully man. Uh, he's the God-man. Anyway, thanks so much yeah. for your your call art and and for your question we're going to come back with more questions in just a moment we're going to take a break here and uh when we come back you can call 877 or during the break now call 877-548-3675 and you can ask your question about the bible god or the spiritual life my name is michael radionic this is open line stay with us we're coming right back at you Welcome back to Open Line. I wanted to mention something about our current resource. You know, when I was in seminary, the very first course we all took at Dallas Seminary was Bible Study Methods. It was taught by a master teacher, Professor Howard Hendricks. You may have heard of him. He was he was quite well-known speaker, but he was a great teacher. And he took this he took this course about Bible study methods and he opened our minds on how to study God's word. And he made it fun while we did it. It was great. 
And then Prof. Hendricks wrote a book with the material from that course. It's called Living by the Book, and it's a book we'd love to send you a copy of because it is so helpful in opening our minds. So the Bible doesn't become scary. It becomes exciting to open it and delve into it, dealing with uh, observation, interpretation, and then application. Great book, and it's called Living by the Book, and we'd like to send it to you as a thank you when you give a gift of any size to Open Line. So if you'd like to give, all you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org, and then we'll send you a copy of Living by the Book. Don't miss out. It's a great book. And we're going to go right back to the phones now and speak with Mike in Northwest Angle, Minnesota, again, KBHW. Welcome to Open Line, Mike. How can I help you today? Good morning. Uh, I live as far north as you can get in Minnesota, one inch from the Canadian border. Sometimes when wow. I mow grass, it goes illegally into Canada, so I have to watch it. But ah. two years ago, my wife and I were on the red bus. We really enjoyed our trip to Israel. John eighteen sixteen. It's always kind of puzzled us. It says the girl or the gal or the woman on duty there. What was the role of that woman or gal in John eighteen sixteen? And what was her background? Well, there, there's very limited information here. Uh, yeah, but what you're, you're talking really about. <laughs> the, thank you. What what we have here is Peter in the center court, the way uh, a villa would have been done as the high priest had. Uh, There was an open courtyard surrounded by enclosed rooms, and the open courtyard uh, was where the fire was. It's also where there was cooking done uh, at that fire. And so that's where the, the... he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, it says that Peter did. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, Why aren't you one of are you aren't one of this man's disciples too? Are you? That's the first denial. I am not, he said. Now Apparently, she was just a servant girl that was working in the high priest's villa, and her job was to keep the door, to open and close the door for guests. And then not only that, apparently, she was since she was in the courtyard, I would guess that she was maybe doing household duties, uh, cooking, cleaning, doing things like that as well. So that's all she was. She was a servant. She was a maid. That's a, a good way to put it. Okay. And it says the girl on duty, and I thought, boy, I wonder what her duty was. But you make it a little bit more clear with the surroundings and everything. So, yeah, great answer, and we'll keep listening great. to other questions. Great, you know what? I just think what a what a what a job to get to be the the caretaker or the servant girl in the high priest's villa. You know that that would that's like being the butler uh, at the White House. You know that's that's a pretty special job and. It was. I would imagine that would be the center of attention uh, at that point in time, especially for the high priest and any of his employees. Yeah, very cool, I think. Okay, thanks for your call, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, We're going to speak to Buster listening in Bolivar, Ohio. 
on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today, uh, Buster? Yes, I have a question about uh, the church era or the age of grace. Is there a specific uh, scripture that would uh, indicate when, the, when when that began? I'm, I was reading in uh, Matthew, and it, it sort of seemed like it could have began at um, uh, John the Baptist uh, uh, preaching when he said, uh, you know, uh, uh, repent uh, for the kingdom is at hand. And then, uh, the, uh, uh, then after he baptized Jesus, then the Holy Spirit came down and said, this is my son, uh, listen to him. Or was it when uh, Jesus... Well, how, how about, how about you just uh, let, me, let me get started in answering. Is that okay? Instead of all that'd the options. Is that, is, okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, let me just say that uh, there are there was always grace. The Bible teaches that people were always saved by grace through faith. So in uh, John one, when it says that when the apostle writes that uh, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus, he's not saying that there wasn't grace and truth in the time of the Torah with Moses. He's saying there was an explosion of grace and truth. Uh, not that there, that people are always saved the same exact way, by grace, through faith, in the revealed will of God. Never a change about that. Okay? So that's first of all. So when we're talking about the age of grace, generally what we're talking about is uh, the, the, the beginning of the church age. That's what we're talking about. Uh, so obviously... Uh, that's that we're, we're asking the question, when did the church begin? And I, I think one passage that really helps us is in the book of Acts, where I'm turning right now. And uh, it's in Acts 11, after Peter preaches to Cornelius, he has to go and justify how could he preach you know, to to the he's he's justifying the fact that he preached to a Gentile and baptized him without first having converted to Judaism. And in Acts eleven fifteen he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. Well, the beginning of what? When did the Holy Spirit come upon the believers? It was at the day of Pentecost, remember that, uh, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit fell? And so what he is saying, the Holy Spirit came on Cornelius and his family in the very same way that he did with us at the beginning. Well, we have to ask, what the beginning of what? That would be the beginning of the church. And then in Ephesians, Paul talks about this new unity that came about in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that the enmity between Jew and Gentile was rendered inoperative because uh, each of us had been reconciled. Jews and Gentiles were reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, uh, we can be reconciled to each other. And then in Ephesians 3, 2, here's what Paul says about that. You have heard, haven't you, about the administration or the economy or some versions say the dispensation 
of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery or the secret was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. That's Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 about Jew and Gentile being one. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the secret of the Messiah that was not made known to people in the other generation generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise. So he calls this age where Jews and Gentiles are spiritually equal, the dispensation, administration, or economy of God's grace, which uh, he's referring to the church age. So when you want to know where it was that the, the church age began, it began at Pentecost, the that's called the age of grace or the dispensation of grace, and that began at Pentecost, and it's what we're in today. Okay? Okay. Can I have a little follow-up question? Absolutely. What's the difference between... What's the difference between uh, John the Baptist's message and in a few chapters later, uh, Jesus' message? They seem to be essentially the same. Uh, John the Baptist was saying the king is coming. He's the forerunner. He's saying the messianic king is about to arrive. The kingdom of God, if we, if we'll believe in him, God's rulership, the kingdom of God refers to God's rulership, will come. And the Lord Jesus says the kingdom of God is upon you if you will trust in the king in himself. God's rulership will come into your life. That's what it's talking about. Now, of course, we're dealing with hypotheticals. If all Israel had received Jesus as the king, I believe that the Messianic kingdom, I think the Lord Jesus still would have had to die. He would have been raised again. I'm certain the Romans would have done it. But nevertheless, uh, he would have established the Messianic kingdom. But it's a hypothetical. But Israel did not receive him. And so God's plan uh, went into operation about the gospel going to the Gentiles and the, the church age begins at Pentecost. And uh, there's a sense where the kingdom of God is upon us even now because God is the ruler of our lives. The Lord Jesus is reigning over us from heaven. Uh, he's at the right hand of the Father. But one day he will return and establish the millennial or the physical kingdom on earth and uh that's when he'll be reigning over all of us uh, uh, for a thousand years. And then uh, after that, the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? Alrighty. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate yeah, it. thank you so much. Really appreciate your question. Uh, we're going to talk with Annie in Anderson, Indiana, listening on WGNR. Welcome to Open Line, Annie. How can I help you? Good morning. Michael, you may not remember me, but we met in Indianapolis and realized that I grew up in New Jersey at the same time you were growing up in Brooklyn. Oh, I do remember talking with you. Yes, and yes. So, but in any case, my question <laughs> Nice to, nice to talk again. John, <laughs> yes, how fun. John yeah. 1722. Mm -hmm. And um, see if I can it. it says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Now, obviously, this is in the midst of the priestly prayer that Jesus was praying at the Last Supper. What is that mm -hmm. glory that he's given to us? I understand the glory that we are to give him as we worship him and we give him all the glory. What does that mean that he gave something to us? Well, I think that has somewhat to do—I don't think we are— 
equal. Well, first of all, let me just say. Oh, no, no, no. In, yeah, I agree totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, uh, in John 17, uh, 5, it says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And he's in John 17, 5, what he is saying is, restore to me that glory that, you know, I always shared with you. However, the, you know, with the Father, uh, but it, it was kind of veiled in his earthly ministry, veiled in flesh, right? That glory. So when we looked at Jesus, he looked like, like every man, right? He looked like an ordinary human being. Uh, he was God incognito. He was uh, Clark Kent, not Superman, when we saw him, right? You get it, right? Exactly. However, got it. Uh, he will be glorified. You see in Revelation 1, he's depicted with great glory uh, when he talks to the seven churches, right? Uh, that's in, in Revelation chapter 1. So that glory has been restored. Uh, however, in the sense, the glory of his righteousness, when we believe, is imputed to us. And so when God looks at at you, Annie, or he looks at me, he doesn't see all the, the garbage in our lives. He sees the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. And that's that's what I think it's referring to. If you read Romans 5, Paul talks about imputed righteousness there. And I think that's the glory that he's talking about. Okay? I Thank you okay. so much. Yep. You have a great hey, day. You too. We're going to be back in just a moment with more of your questions. The mailbag's coming in with Trisha. She's going to bring it. So stay right there. We're grateful for the Far Eastern Broadcasting Company, our partners with OpenLine. They bring you the FEBC mailbag every week. Uh, and I'm so glad because, Tricia, I'm so grateful that you put that mailbag together and we get to answer questions that people have sent in. They go to openlineradio.org. They click on Ask Michael a Question, and that's the FEBC mailbag. Hey, Tricia, is the Hi. bag real big today? It is. Okay, yeah. Great. <laughs> I'm so glad. Hey, you know, one of the things I, I so appreciate uh, is that so many people think if I can't get through, I'm going to send it. And it's because they're regulars on the radio. They listen all the time. I was, you know, we went to Boca Raton. People talked about how they Saturday morning is they they turn on the radio and they sit in their house or they clean their house or they get in the car and they do their errands and they listen. It's it's like must listen radio. I, I so I so appreciate that, and they are our regulars, right? Uh, and then some people said this has helped them so much that they become our kitchen table partners. Now, a kitchen table partner is someone that commits to give monthly to Open Line, and then they uh, they get a Bible study moment every other week as a thank you from us. Uh, we're really appreciative of that. Now, Trish, I, I was wondering about this. Uh, when when people become kitchen table partners, do they get like some benefit in terms of uh, the books that that they can buy from Moody Publishers? I think I can't. I, I forgot the amount of money that if they commit to thirty or thirty dollars a month, thirty dollars or a month, more. What's the deal? Okay. On an auto gift, so that's where you set it up, and it's just automatically coming out of your credit card. 
um, mm-hmm. or your bank account. Um, $30 or more a month, you get 50% off of all Moody Publishers books and resources. So if they're ebooks, those would count as long as you're doing that, um, as long as you're supporting the program like that. But it's but it's really books too. It's it's not not that ebooks aren't real, but it's, it, you can get a paper and ink. Oh yeah, book too. Yeah. yeah, it's all of the books. But I th- I think I hear Moody Publishers, and I think books. I don't know. Maybe yeah. other people don't. Yeah. Um, and but yeah. but it includes like any of the resources that they have on their wow. website, and then so you get like a special code um, with your email address that like connects you to that, and so it will automatically take fifty percent off. The other thing you get. Um, just for any amount is we send you a physical copy of the Moody Bible commentary excerpt of the book of Romans. So it's the entire Romans commentary, but it's a paper form out of the Moody Bible commentary. You get the Bible study moment, which is a recording that you do each, Mm -hmm. every other week, those get sent Mm -hmm. out. Um, and right now we're doing a special one where it's you and Dr. William Washington, from Moody Bible Institute talking through um, why Jewish people are special. <laughs> no, I'm not why, saying that right. Why we should no, stand, why with Israel. stand with Israel and oppose anti-Semitism. Yes. Yes. Um, and we are special. You are we special. Jews, but so are other people too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're all special, but God has chosen the Jewish people in a special way. I agree. Uh, so you almost got it right. It's <laughs> uh, close. I'm still new in the uh, series. The other thing that you do as a kitchen table partner is that you can request our um, monthly resource that we have f- that that you can get for a one-time gift. As a kitchen table partner, you can request that resource for no additional gift. Um, but yeah. you can say, hey, I'm a kitchen table partner. Can I get that? So if yeah. you hear one that we talk about and you say, ooh, I would like to have that, you can request that. You also Great. get a one-year subscription to Today in the Word, which is a daily devotional. Um, you get an annual Moody Scripture wall calendar um, and a couple other things. <laughs> I know. There's, there's like a, a whole list, which actually, if you go to our website, openlineradio.org, and there's a spot where it actually has a little paragraph about a kitchen table partner. And if you click on the Become a Kitchen Table Partner today, it will give you the whole rundown of everything that you get the benefits that you get for supporting us in addition to the benefit of being part of open line on the air each being week. A partner with us, which I so appreciate. Well, if you want to give your gift or, or become a kitchen table partner, go to openlineradio.org, as Trish just said, or you can call 888-644-7122. And uh, we're doing that with William Washington right now for the Bible study moments that we send out. Uh, Dr. Washington has challenged our listeners. He'd like to see us double the number of kitchen table partners that we had at the start of this year. And uh, we're, we're well on the way. We're about a third of the way there. So um, I'm grateful for that. So anyway, if, you, if you're a regular and you'd like to help keep us on the air, that's a way to do it. Uh, anyway, let's go to questions real quick. All right. First questions from Donna, who wrote us on Facebook. Um, when we die... Do we go to heaven and is God there? And then when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, is God there? I mean, mm-hmm. there. I think it's confusing that there are, are there multiple heavens? <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's where some of my confusion is. Um, well, can you explain that? Yeah. It, it's as in Philippians one, when Paul uh, is talking about how to live as Christ and to die is gain. How is that? He says, I, I am pressured by both. 
I have a desire to depart and be with uh, Messiah, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So what's it saying? It's saying that when we die, we go to be with the Lord Jesus. Also in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. I mean, that's that's just crucial that we know this. Uh, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, uh, we're at home or away. We make it our aim to please him. Uh, home in the body, uh, away in the presence of the Lord. That's, or actually it's reversed. Today we're away, then we'll be home. Anyway, so uh, yeah, when we die today, we go right to be with the Lord. That's the first thing. Uh, and and then, that's course, called heaven? Well, or... a lot of people call it heaven, the presence okay. of God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Lord Jesus will establish a kingdom on earth, and he will be there, and he is God, and we will, he will reign over us physically. And then uh, after the thousand-year reign of Jesus, there's one last little rebellion. And after that, uh, the, he establishes a new heavens and a new earth and uh that's a new creation which a lot of people think oh that's sort of hanging around on a cloud and you got your your harp and you got your wings and your clarence the angel from uh, mm -hmm. it's a wonderful life no no uh it's a material world it's a new heavens and a new earth he makes a new creation and uh we will be serving him forever it says his saints will serve him his, his servants will serve him actually and it says uh, there will no longer be any curse. There'll be the uh, then it says the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. Now, the only thing I would say different. I was reading from Revelation twenty-two, verses three and four, is I would translate it the throne of God, even of the Lamb. That's how I would translate that conjunction. Because the only one we will ever see forever is the Lord Jesus. Because God is a spirit, and we need to worship him in spirit and truth, the Bible says. But you can't see in a material world, which is what the new creation will be, a spirit. Uh, so when people say, will we see God? Absolutely. We're going to see God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus, fully God. And you know, some people say, well, no, no, I want to see God the Father. Listen, do you think you'll really be disappointed? You know, a person asked a question just earlier from uh, John 17. The Lord Jesus is as fully glorified as the Father. And so we'll see the glorious God, God the Son, forever. And yes, we will see him. And that's a sense of heaven, I think. That's what people think of as heaven, but it's eternity we'll spend with him in God's presence, in the presence of the Lord Jesus. But God the Father will be be there in the new heavens and the new earth in as spirit i don't i'm guessing yes because he's imminent he's everywhere right uh and the god the spirit will be there but we won't see you can't see a spirit you just can't right that's why uh the lord jesus has no one has ever seen god right right so uh it says in first john four twelve, no one has seen god uh uh, in First Timothy one seven, God is invisible. Uh, uh, in First Timothy sixteen six sixteen, it says no one can see or has seen God. John one eighteen, no one has ever seen God. 
No one has seen the Father but the Son, John 6, 46. So there, there's this emphasis in Scripture, no one has seen God, and then we see the Son. So what that means is we, no one has ever seen God the Father, but we can see God the Son, and that's what we, that's the one we'll spend eternity with. And I guarantee you, no one will be disappointed. Okay. Do you think we'll be disappointed no, when we see Jesus? No, I don't. No. I don't think we will. <laughs> yeah. So All right. that's it. Well, thank you. Can we do a quick one? Yes, we can do a quick one. Second question. Um, Craig in Indiana listens to WGNR. What might be some examples of how the Holy Spirit is at work in the day-to-day lives of believers? Ah, well, first of all, as soon as we believe, uh, and this is a whole bunch of verses, so, I mean, I could take an hour on this, but he indwells (laughs) us. I've got a pen. (laughs) Yeah, he indwells us, he baptizes or immerses us into the body of Christ. He... Uh, fills well. No, he uh, he indwells. He baptizes. He regenerates the moment of salvation. He regenerates us, gives us new life. Uh, we become new creatures in Him. Uh, there are so many things He does instantly. He seals us so that we're safe until we're in the presence of God. Uh, all those ways the Holy Spirit works immediately. His predominant work today is He fills us. Uh, which means he controls us and empowers us so that we can serve God. That's uh, Ephesians 5.18. Don't be uh, drunk with wine, but be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He also enables us by his power, through his filling, through his control, to serve God. So that's how he works today. Okay. Okay? All right. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, you know, great little book I would really recommend to people. It's called The Holy Spirit. It's available through Moody Publishers. Publishers. It's a little book, and it's written by Dr. Charles Ryrie. Great book uh, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, All right. Thank you. A little book of doctrine. Anyway, we're going to take a break here. Thank you, Tricia, for the FEBC mailbag. Yeah, you're welcome. Mailbag. Check out the febc.org website. You can see all about their program until all have heard with Ed Cannon, and I hope you'll listen to that podcast. It's really terrific. We'll be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. This is Michael Rydelnik, and that was Trisha McMillan on Open Line. Welcome back to Open Lines. So glad that you're listening today. You know, it's uh, it's always a good idea for me to remind you about what Chosen People has made available for you. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, cho- chosen, especially now, uh, what Israel is going through uh, since October 7th. It's, it's a terrible war. There was a terrible attack. Uh, it just seems like a, a terrible time in Israel right now. Of course, the war is going onward now, and uh, it, it is a grievous time. But the Bible teaches that there is a glorious future for Israel. Uh, and uh, because of that, Chosen People Ministries is making a book available It's called Israel's Glorious Future. It details God's faithfulness to his covenant promises made to Israel in the past. It also has biblical prophecies yet to be fulfilled in the future. And God's word reveals that despite the current 
tragedy and difficulties that Israel is facing, Israel's future is certain and it is glorious. If you'd like a free copy of the book, Israel's Glorious Future, just go to openlineradio.org. That's our website, openlineradio.org. You'll see a link that says, a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of Israel's Glorious Future. We're going to speak with Pete in Cleveland, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Eye, Pete. How can I help you? Thank you. I have a question about uh, Romans 8, uh, 1, uh, Romans eight thirteen, and Galatians 6, 8. Um, is that those three scriptures contingent for salvation? Wait, wait a second. Galatians six eight, Romans eight thirteen. But I didn't hear the third one. What was the third eight, passage one. you were asking? Eight one. Okay. Uh, well, let's look at those passages. How about that? Romans eight thirteen says. Now he's. I believe he's writing to believers here. And why do I say that? Verse twelve. So then, brothers. He's talking to believers. We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, it says you're going to die. Now, everyone's going to die, even uh, committed believers. But what that means, uh, it could be translated, you're about to die. Uh, that that you're, that you're So it could be talking about physical death. But... Uh, it could also be referring to your your I guess I would say uh, you're going to experience a deadly lifestyle. So when he says uh, you're about to, you're certainly going to, uh, you're not going to enjoy the benefits of being a believer. If you live like you're not, you don't get the benefits of 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 the spirit's power in your life. And that's why he says, so it's, so it's not 13, spiritual death. It's not eternal spiritual death. No, it's talking about, uh, a deadly lifestyle. I believe, uh, then he says, if by the spirit, you put to death, the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. Well, obviously we're alive already. That's why I don't think it's talking about physical death. It means that you'll live abundantly. You'll live the full spiritual life as God intended. So that's what it's talking about there. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Messiah. So we're not going to lose our salvation if we live in the flesh. What we're going to do is l lose the benefits of uh, an empowered lifestyle, uh, a, sp a strong spiritual life. And then uh, the other one you had is Galatians 6, 8. Is that what you said? Yes. Uh, yes. That verse says... Uh, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Uh, so that, again, uh, what he's talking about is sowing to the... It, it's, it's the mind focused on the flesh gets the flesh, the fruit of the flesh. That's what they get. It's a deadly lifestyle. It's, a, it's an ungodly lifestyle. They don't lose their salvation. The one who sows to the Spirit, who allows the Holy Spirit to empower them. They experience the fruit of the Spirit, and they get the experience of eternal life with the fruit of the Spirit now. It begins now, the empowerment of the Spirit to live in, a, in the way that we will live perfectly uh, throughout eternity. So that's, that's all that's saying. 
but they're not speaking of of losing if you don't live by the spirit losing salvation i i think i've said that yeah that's that's what i'm saying yeah. it's not I'm talking re- about it re- reiterating yeah yeah so okay that's that's what i'm talking about so no i don't think a person can lose their salvation if they're a genuine believer in jesus they can be fleshly they can be immature but they cannot lose their salvation so okay well, just, hey thanks for your call i really appreciate it peter uh we're going to speak with christopher in chattanooga tennessee listening on wmbw welcome to open line christopher how can i help you hey uh, uh thank you for letting me uh ask a question um yeah i there uh, in john chapter 20 you know where mary comes up to jesus and um you know and she says rabbi which means teacher you know you know, and, you know, because at first she's wondering where they took Jesus because she thinks he's a gardener. And um, and she says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him. And and then as soon as she's about to touch him, okay. she says, Okay, just, do not just ask a question. I, I know the passage. It's okay. Just ask a question. I've got about 30 seconds. Oh, I'm sorry. Seconds. I'm, yeah, okay. I, I'm sorry. This is my first time doing this. Um, you know, she said, he says, do not touch me, for I'm not ascending to heaven. My question is, um, you know, later when Jesus goes to his disciples and, and tells Thomas to touch him to, so he will not doubt anymore, how come Jesus lets them uh, touch him, but then when he, uh, after the resurrection, how come Mary cannot touch him? Because she wasn't just touching him. The word actually means you can stop clinging to me, Mary. She, when she realized it was Jesus, she grabbed a hold of him and wasn't letting go. And he says, I've not yet ascended to heaven. You can let go of me. Stop clinging to me, Mary, because uh, I've not yet ascended. That's going to happen in Acts 1. I'll be with you for the next 40 days. So you don't don't have to hold on to me like I'm I'm going away. I'm still with you. Okay? So it wasn't that she was touching him. It was she was clinging to him. I hope that answers it for you. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's the first hour. Keep listening. There's a second hour of Open Line on most of these stations. If your station doesn't carry Open Line's second hour, you can always listen on the Moody Radio app. You can listen online and get the podcast. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. It has all the things that you're looking for, including how to get our current resource, how to become a kitchen table partner. Our Bible study across America will continue in the second hour, so stay with us. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.